Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Whoa, baby, across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com. That's where you find the... uh, that's where you find the audio-only live stream links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and, of course, links to the podcast as well. And, as always, just on regular old terrestrial radio across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show, the Thursday edition of the show. And today, we are jumping right into it. Uh, getting started here uh, with our friend and uh, and cohort, uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, who is with us uh, via uh, via uh, StreamYard, uh, who's joining us here uh, on the program this morning. And we're going to uh, kick things off with him right away because he's got to go. He's got to drive through all this snowy stuff and uh, and make a mess today. He joins us this morning to uh, get things started. So uh, before we get into anything else, let's just kick off with that, shall we? Good morning, Ben. How are you doing? Good morning, Michael. I'm doing well. Thanks. For How are you? Co- uh, I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on board and joining us. It's been a while since we chatted. You kind of had a uh, you kind of had a pretty low key um, race overall. I mean, obviously, not having any opponents uh, helps with that. But I know you were focusing on other issues and helping out in some other races and everything. But uh, we need to get a chance to kind of get caught up and figure out. Uh, you know, do a little post-mortem here. So I appreciate you coming on board and, uh, and joining us. So I guess let's get started. Um, overall thoughts on the election in general, in the state, in the nation. Uh, I mean, the red wave that became the pink tinkle. Uh, I mean, what are you, uh, what are your thoughts overall on what happens uh, nationwide and in the state and, and everything else? Yeah, well, obviously, um, I'm, don't have any insight other, you know, than what other folks have had throughout the nation. And it's a surprise to everyone that thought the midterms would be a uh, better showing for conservatives or Republicans, if, if you want to call them that. Um, and it didn't for some reason. I've heard some analysis that, you know, we've kind of got a divide amongst um, the population here on a, on a social issue basis and on a financial issue basis. And the two are disconnected. They're not the same voter block, right? As we maybe had thought they were in the past, and that's changing, kind of changing the paradigm of how we're looking at at elections. So, um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Now we have to move forward. We've got um, a divide in the uh, in the House, and we're working hard to form a majority by the uh, the end of the um, inner inner period here before the first day of the session. <clears throat> Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely that. I think you, <clears throat> I think you kind of nailed that. What what we were talking about that there are groups of people out there who have uh, you know the 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 social conservatism and the fiscal conservatism 
don't necessarily match up in the same bodies, right? I mean, we would, I think a lot of, of, of conservatives hold both of those beliefs dear, but out in the world, uh, especially with younger voters and things like that, they those may be two completely opposite um, philosophies or concepts. They may be fiscally conservative, um, but they're more socially liberal or vice versa. Um, that, uh, you know, we, we see that with some of the millennial population being more libertarian in their viewpoints. And we see even some people who are uh, socially conservative who are okay with government spending. And in the state of Alaska, that's all, all, almost become the norm because as long as you don't tax me, do whatever you want in the government, as long as you don't tax me and as long as I don't see it, uh, and, you know, take the PFD or whatever, but don't don't tax me, bro. As long as you do that, government can kind of do whatever it wants. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that um, assessment for the state of Alaska. I think, you know, the the regist- uh, voter registration files show that, that party affiliation is, you know, not really a big factor. We have more independents and undeclareds in the state than we do either Republican or Democrat or some party affiliated um, voter. So. Um, it's definitely more uh, anti-party, uh, if you will, and and that just leads to how do you reach those? How do you reach those folks with a message that is, uh, you know, if they're not participating in your party process, then are you sure that your message is resonating with them? That's something right. that we have to consider ourselves, concern ourselves with as candidates. Now you made the you made the mention that uh, you know kind of this is all in the past, and we need to look forward and. I'm seeing I'm seeing more and more people make that commentary, and it's not just on this election; it's on past elections. You know, stop looking in the past um, and focus on moving forward because it's not helping us to look backwards. Right? We're going to run into the wall because we're not looking to where we're where we need to be going. And I'm hearing that from uh, from a, a lot of people that I read or a lot of people that I see. I think that um, I think it's the truth. I think we get so focused on something that happened in the past, we get so bitter, we get so frustrated that we're like, okay. We, we just we're not paying attention to where we're going from here. We need to focus on, OK, that happened. Let's counteract and move forward. How do we go? How do we you know, what do we do moving forward? And of course, that applies nationally. But here in the state, especially, uh, we can just see here what happened. We had five races that were very, very important in this last election here in the state of Alaska that would have given us a um, pretty much undisputed control of uh, of the chambers of the legislature and, um, well, we lost each and every one of them. I mean, each and every one of them just fell apart. So, we sure, we analyze it. We figure out what we do. Now, what do we do go, going forward? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the, the uh, training that I've received in the military, uh, after every action that you do, you conduct an AAR, an after-action review. You find your, your strengths and weaknesses, and you address them, and then you move forward looking to the next battle. And that's what we have to do. Uh, the next battle for us in the state, especially the, the elected folks, is, is getting into the majority and governing for the next two years. That, that's the next battle that, has to, that we have to happen. So um, if we're not going to be in the majority, if, if, if a legislator is making a decision that they're not going to be in the majority, then the governing piece of this is really not um, a, a big deal to them. They can hone their message and, and uh, do what they need, but those who want to be in the majority need to um, really focus on what it's going to take to govern. Right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the formation uh, of the majority. Uh, You saw what happened in the Senate. Um, 
I guess I guess first I'd like a little commentary on that. You know, we we saw apparently what has been a done deal for quite some time. Uh, some speculation that some of this was going on as far back as August, um, and now we uh, we see what's uh, what's happened. A, a coalition majority is formed in the Senate with a majority of Democrats um, um, overall, nine Democrats and eight uh, Republicans. Leaving, uh, leaving, uh, you know, three of the most conservative Republicans kind of out in the cold, not even an official minority. Um, and so as you saw that come down, you know, what were you thinking? What, what, you know, what, what does that do to the upcoming session with the majority that's currently uh, uh, been constructed in the, uh, in the Senate? You know, Michael, this is not going to make uh, all the folks that want to prognosticate about what's going to happen um, happy here, but um, I'm not going to comment on what happened in the Senate and I'm not going to comment on, you know, plans or what's going on with uh, forming a majority in the house um, past what I've already said in kind of broad terms. Um, This is a sensitive time. It's um, a time when we should not be uh, inflaming issues and and poking um, other people in the eye and, all of that kind of stuff, right? We are looking at moving forward. We need to be mature adults about this and uh, form the best government that we can to to move forward, given the circumstances with the election. And I think in the next, uh, you know, within a, a few weeks, maybe a month's time, we'll have some uh, sort of organization, and then we can have conversations about what it what it looks like. Um, and I, and I'm asking for the public's help in this regard as well. It doesn't help for the circular firing squad to come out and um, attack your enemies and attack attack what you think is uh, um, not good during this time period. This time period is when we need to be trying to focus on um, coalescing around something and moving forward. There's plenty of time during election cycles and whatnot to, to be critical. This is not that time. This is the time to um, find common ground where there is some and and move forward because that's what Alaskans uh, require. It's what our constitution requires. We have to form a government and we have to move out um, expeditiously. And what happened in the last couple of legislatures with us delaying past the, uh, you know, into February, it, it just, it's nonsense. That can't happen again. Uh, ben Carpenter is our guest representative uh, from down on the peninsula. Uh, ben, uh, so so how do people go? I mean, I guess, you know, give me a game plan for how do people how do people support that? Uh, because I think people, uh, you know, we, we want to kind of analyze where things are going. We kind of want to understand what's happening. We've seen the formation. We may not agree with what's going on uh, in the formulation <clears throat> of the uh, Senate majority. But we have to kind of analyze it to figure out what does it mean for the rest of the, you know, for, for the formation of government. What does it mean? Um, and then how do people support the formation of a majority in the House if, if, uh, if you know, we, we shouldn't be, like you said, the circular firing squad doesn't help. But, I mean, what should we be doing to motivate the citizenry to get involved? How should they be helping, for example, in the formation now of the House? How, how should we be helping with that? The, I think one of the best things that you can do is reach out to your representative and make your priorities for this next legislature known if you haven't already and then be patient the patience is really key right now just trust that the process is working trust but verify you know you can call and have personal conversations with your legislator um, or legislator elect but this public um the public animosity we need to tone that down right now that it isn't helping during negotiations or during um 
discussions on how we're going to work together. I mean, the, the reality is we would like it to be different, but we are pretty much uh, equally divided uh, given the makeup of the house. I'm not talking about D's and R's, what, what letters after our name. I'm talking about people who are aligned philosophically um, right now. And it is right. pretty closely equally divided. We have to break that somehow collectively and move forward. And I can guarantee it's not going to make somebody happy out there. Well, yeah, it won't make me happy, but I still have to work through it. So right. uh, give us a little bit of grace, allow us to work through this and we're, we're going to um, make the best of it that we can. And that's anyway. Well, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this. I mean, like you said, it doesn't necessarily matter what animal you wear on your lapel, uh, whether it's an elephant or a donkey or a hedgehog or whatever it is. Um, what we're seeing more is a philosophical divide over things like, you know, the PFD or government spend or things like that. And that in and of its own nature, and I, I've argued this in the past, is that in and of its own self could mandate some form of uh, coalition governance simply because at some point you may have to jettison the party labels and look at the the overall philosophy, right? I mean, are they more pro-government spend or government intervention in people's lives, or are they less, or are they pro-PFD, uh, uh, pro-smaller government? I mean, that almost becomes more important than party labels at some point. Well, <clears throat> if my party's got 40 planks, I've got to take a huge appetite suppressant given the current conditions and say, I might be able to support one of those planks. One in a divided legislature, the, the nature uh, of the beast here with uh, who's going to control what committees and all of that stuff, right? All of, all of what's going to actually, what it's actually going to look like is likely to be a, a, um, a big humble pill on what we're actually able to achieve. And we have one responsibility one guaranteed constitutional responsibility that we have to do, which is pass a budget. And if that's the only thing we can do on time within 90 days, then maybe that's the best that can be done this year because we're so equally divided. Right. And the rest of the rest of the issues need to be addressed outside the legislature to uh, produce a majority that will support change in those areas. Because if we're equally divided within the legislature, we can argue about it, but the results are going to be the same, equally divided. Ben Carpenter's our guest, uh, representative from down on the peninsula. I don't remember what the, what's the new number again, Bren? Is it six? I'm, I'm District 8. District 8. Eight. All right. Uh, we're going to be back with more, and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. All right, Ben Carpenter is our guest, and uh, we're talking with him about legislatures, organizations, formation, and session. Uh, but we will sidebar here in the chat room during the commercial break. Uh, we'll change gears a little bit. I've already had three people ask. Uh, about the uh, grand jury situation uh, up in the uh, 
uh, down in the peninsula. And so, I mean, maybe we should talk about that on the air, but uh, give me a quick thumbnail uh, on this, Ben, and we can revisit it once we get back on the air. What's going on with this grand jury situation down there? I know you've been following it closely. Yeah, so we've got a constitutional requirement for a grand jury. We've got statutes that uh, kind of shape what the grand jury, uh, the responsibilities for the grand jury. And then you've got court rules that further um, tell the court how they're going to um, uh, use the grand jury or, or enable the grand jury. And the Supreme Court recently changed uh, rule six and maybe it was 6.12, but they're both interrelated. I think they changed both of them that um, uh determines that the, the grand jury doesn't have, so if the public wants to have a, a conversation with a grand jury, there's a way to do that. But the grand jury then doesn't have a way to issue an indictment. They only have a, uh, a way to issue a report. And it kind of neuters the effect of the grand jury. So um, I don't think that that's constitutional. It's not supported by statute or, or intention of the founders um when we've got a an issue basically the supreme court has punted over to the um the executive branch and let the attorney general and district attorneys um determine when a uh um grand jury would uh, have something that they would issue an indictment if it does if an issue doesn't come down through the uh district attorney then it doesn't get an indictment and that would be um neutering the power of the people to investigate all matters uh, like the Constitution says that they should be able to do. Right, because that's not that's not how it is. The grand jury is supposed to have not only the power uh, over things that are presented to them, they are supposed to be able to impanel and be able to take on issues of oversight of government without government interfering in that, right? I mean, they're supposed to be able to review potential cases of malfeasance in government or or uh, or interference or things like that. And this would essentially, and, and we've heard nothing about this except from you. I mean, it's not being covered in the news media. It's not being talked about. But this, this rule change just was kind of arbitrary and out of the blue. Um, I mean, that really... I think your word neutering was a good word, neuters the power of the grand jury in government oversight, which is one of the prime reasons why it's actually there. That if you read the uh, constitution, you read the statutes and you investigate the founding fathers, uh, the the founders of the state, when they put this um, together, the, the grand jury, the power of the grand jury within the state, it's very clear that they were concerned about corruption within the state government. And the grand jury was the highest level of authority for investigating that type of behavior and right now we have the the slave telling the master uh what it can and can't do and that just it just is nonsense so um it's a public uh public education issue more people need to be aware of why this is important and um i hope that this next uh next year um educates folks um they need to get involved on this because it's going to take a full court press to get the the institutions to to listen to us, the, we the people. It is our power that we are ceding to them if we do not demand that um, they recognize our our um, constitutional right to investigate whatever the grand jury decides to investigate. We'll expand on that here later on in the program. Uh, less than a minute here, though, Ben. And um, what has the reaction been from your constituents when you were talking about you know not commenting or not discussing or not strategizing or analyzing? Uh, on organization, what what is the reaction been from your 
constituency on that? Because like you said, it's going to make some people mad. What What are you hearing right now as you talk about this? Well, I, to be honest with you, I'm not hearing a lot from anybody on organization. Um, who, who knows what organ, who really knows how to get organized out there? I mean, only the individuals who've actually gone through it. It's a, it's a messy process. There's no textbook for how you organize, especially when you're. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, hold the line, Ben. Thank you uh, for stopping there. We'll be right back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Ben Carpenter's our guest. Whoops, he looks like he's frozen there. We'll see what happens. We'll see if we can get him back. Here we go. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show continues. Representative Ben Carpenter is with us from District 8 down on the peninsula. Uh, we were just talking about, uh, you know, uh, what a messy process the formation of a majority can be. And we'll see uh, we'll see what uh, uh, we'll see what comes of that. But let's move on into <laughs> you use the word prognostication. One of my favorite words. Uh, but really, it's, uh, you know, I, I ask people, you know, put the envelope to your forehead, wear the turban, use your crystal ball, you know, looking forward to the next session. There's going to be some issues that are going to be coming up and they're going to be issues that are important uh, to Alaskans, to the state, to both sides of the pro big government, uh, pro small government sides. Um, as you look at the upcoming session, what do you see being some of the critical uh, issues that are going to come before this legislature? I mean, I think the PFD is what it's going to be because there's just not enough horsepower to move it from anywhere. I mean, we're already seeing that basically the idea is they'll pay us the biggest PFD that they think they can afford, uh, and there's just not the votes to do what happened this last year. So, but what do you think on the other issues? What do you think are going to be the hot button issues that people need to be paying attention to? Uh, what's good? What's bad for the state uh, in the upcoming session? Give me uh, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, so the issues that I think that will be a, uh, a couple of them that will be a um, continued push in the legislature. One of them is the um, uh, defined benefits push, uh, growing and growing our government uh subsidized, not subsidized, not the right word, but the, the risk on the government's uh, side for retirement and uh, creating a new retirement system that's uh, defined benefits as opposed to the current defined contributions plan for tier four. I think that'll be an issue. Um, you know, financially, the state hasn't solved any of the un underlying fundamental problems that we don't have an economic base outside of the permanent fund to support the size of our state government. And that's a problem. We, we need to have policies in place, um, such as lowering corporate income tax rates to be able to, to incentivize economic growth within our state. That's what I think is necessary in order to get um, economic growth happening, to incentivize uh, economic activity. Um, We've got to solve this problem with resource development in our state. And I know that that's not just an in-state problem. That's also a, a, a national problem with the current Biden administration. But we've got to put our foot down and start developing our resources and being competitive in the world world market in regards to um, resources so that we can afford 
to take care of our own people and be self-sufficient. We have a crisis looming at the national level with the amount of debt we have. We are, we are going to see, I don't know how many years off it is, but we are going to see a, a reduction in the amount of federal dollars that are flowing into the state of Alaska. That's going to happen because of the mess that we have nationally at the, at the federal budget level. Right. Cause arithmetic, need, arithmetic doesn't lie. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line. It does not. It does not. If you put uh, cultural issues and cultural um, change in one hand and you put financial change in the other, the financial, we can measure that. We know what's going to happen. What's, what's coming up down the pipeline because of the decisions that we've made over the last couple of decades. So we in Alaska need to have our resources have more control over developing our resources and, and growing our economic activity for the survival of our state. We are going to be challenged with uh, a, a lack of revenue coming from the federal government and a lack of revenue coming from the permanent fund when the federal dollars start drying up all over the nation. That will have an impact on our, um, our investments with the, within the stock market and elsewhere on our national economy. That's what it's going to have a ha- what's going to happen. So we need to be looking longer term than just this budget cycle this year, although that's important. We need to be doing some things, getting resources and getting land into the, into the hands of uh, people who are going to make use of it and grow our economy. Um, that's, we, that is a must. We have to do that. Um, that. I mean, that's that's something I've been talking about for quite some time. Um, is that, you know, eventually the economics, the, the, the arithmetic of the situation is going to quote unquote, fix this problem. And unfortunately, the fix is, is that if we don't put the brakes on it now, this train goes right off the edge of the tracks. You know what I mean? You could see the bridges out, but instead of putting the brakes on, it's like they just keep throwing the coal on it and saying, it's going to be spectacular when we get there. And unfortunately, because the state is so heavily dependent on federal dollars, we will definitely feel the pinch in a lot of ways. We have got to get some sustainability and some self-reliance in our own budget process. And one of the other issues that you, I mean, you asked about other issues, and one of them is education. We passed a um, Reed's bill this last uh, legislature, and we need to see how that's uh, um, ch- making change. Is it, is it making positive results? Um, we keep uh, funding money to the education system, and we're not getting the results that we need. So we need to have a conversation. And I know that that's going to be a push this year is to up the BSA. Well, I mean, what are we getting the results that we want? For right. the money that we're spending. Is there and accountability? That's the conversation that we need to have. Yeah. Right. Is there, you are yeah. not going to improve the results of education in this state, this is my humble opinion, until you involve parents in a uh, meaningful way, until you recognize that the responsibility of education is not at the school district, it's not at the school, it's not at the teacher's level, it is at the parents' level. And until you incorporate that into your system of education, the the process, the the system that we have is powerless to address some of the problems that we see in the classroom, which all stem from parental problems at home. So we have got to change that culturally if we're going to have any sort of results, uh, change in results. We can't just throw money at it. We can't throw more teachers at it and, and add more bureaucracy at the, at the school level because that is not going to solve the underlying problem that we have. Well, and until we open up and address things like, I mean, even looking at the funding formula and some of those other things, I mean, look at the lopsidedness of how much ends up going into overhead and administration versus what actually ends up in the classroom. We need to have that conversation. I mean, the most startling graph should be the one that we've been talking about for the last 10 days. And I can't remember who brought it up initially, but they said, you know, look at the, you know, go back 20 years and look at the scholastic achievements, you know, and 20 years ago, 
we were in the middle of the pack in all the United States and, and the District right, of Columbia, right? All 51. We were in the middle of the pack for scholastic achievement and scores. And now you could just see that graph go down and down and down and down. And now we're in the bottom. Now we're in the bottom. But on the other side, the money has continued to increase over the year, even as enrollment itself is also declined. I mean, that'd be a hell of a chart, you know? Enrollment goes down, scholastic achievement goes down, but the ever-increasing money goes up. It obviously is not more money. The more money solution is obviously not working, but that's the only mantra that we've heard for 20 years. Yeah, I think giving parents choice over where they put their kids in school will within a decade help improve the school district uh, results. This, the parents' choice and um, changing the paradigm, because right now parents just, you know, they can send their kids off to school and wash their hands and it's the school's responsibility. Um, yeah, the school will say, hey, we need your help and we need you in here. We want you to participate, but it's only advice. You don't really have any responsibility or requirements to make sure that make the system work properly, right? There's, there's no requirement there. But as soon as you issue um, uh, create a requirement inside the school system, like a charter school has, where parents actually make the decisions of the schools, then you have parental involvement that matters to the outcome of the the results of that school. So until we until we have that, um, we're not going to see a change to the culture that is is really the underlying problem of of education in the state. I mean, I've been saying it for 20 years about education. Something is fundamentally broken in what we have right now. Something is fundamentally flawed. And until we address that, it doesn't matter how much money we throw at it because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And that's where we're at. We're at that point where something is broken. And you could see, again, if you throw that graph up there, you could see more money, still less achievement. Something is wrong and we need to address that instead of just you know, expediting and multiplying the problem because we're just putting more money into it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not just a Alaska state problem either. It's no. a problem throughout the nation. Yeah. We're having a teacher shortage throughout the nation. I think people just recognize, I don't want to be a teacher in a organization that is um, so um, corrupt in this regard. We, we need parents to be in charge to exercise their um, God-given responsibilities to educate their kids and we need them to ex exercise it so we don't have problems in homeschool communities we don't have problems in in um, charter school communities that have bigger parental involvement the problem is we don't you can't force parents to be involved you've got to change that the entire culture right. of education within the within our our um our communities and and that takes time it takes time and it takes deliberate actions that encourage that type of of behavior so um, we well, need more charter schools and we need uh, parental uh, choice for where they send their kids. Well, and it comes to the big question of one of the big advocacies that's been happening, especially since COVID, is this idea of what they call backpack funding, where the funding follows the student versus going, you know, following the schools. Um, is that something that uh, you think has an opportunity to be explored this session that we could talk about? You know, that backpack funding where each child is assigned a funding, you know, Dot and that you know it follows them versus going to the directly to the schools that they happen to be inside the districts of. Well, I can speak for myself. I would love to have that conversation. I would mm -hmm. love to get to the point where it's not just throw more money at the problem, and we're actually going to look at um, solutions that don't involve just throwing money. And um, I hope that we can. 
yeah. think it all depends on who's uh, who's controlling the the particular uh, committees that that conversation would happen in. Yeah, no, I think it would be an interesting conversation if nothing else. But we should, I mean, we should at least be addre- We should acknowledge that there is a problem. And again, to me, that one graph would show that there's something wrong and we should address that and figure it out uh if nothing else um you mentioned the defined benefits program and of course the devil's advocate uh, position on that is oh well we've learned our lesson and this is a very limited defined benefits it's only going towards first responders or it's only going towards first responders and teachers or it's only i mean how much do you <laughs> get how dangerous do you think defined benefits, a renewal of defined benefits in this state would be? Would it be limited just to one slice or another slice, or is it the camel's nose under the tent? And I mean, we currently have what? Uh, I think it's still about $9 billion in unfunded liability from the first three tiers of defined benefits that were previously in this state. So uh, how, 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 you know, unstable does that, how, how bad is that? I guess we'll start there. Yeah, I don't buy it that we're going to be able to limit it to just one um, sector of the state um, state workforce. I think once you get one agreement for one, then every other union is going to want it too. It's just a, a matter of fairness question at that point. So it's it's either we're going to make a decision to go back to a defined benefits program for the state retirement or for for all or or for none. And my philosophical approach to this is that we should be spending money. The, today's dollars on retirement for today's employees instead of instead of saddling future Alaskans with uh, the risk and the the dollars for retirees during that period of time. Right. The risk ought to be borne by the state and by the employees for the retirement. That's how it happens everywhere else. You don't have defined benefits programs in in uh, companies, corporations out in in America. Small businesses don't get to offer defined benefits plans this is the function of state government and it's uh, you know even at the federal government they went around away from defined benefits for for military you no longer have just a 20-year pension you've got a combination of uh small pension and uh investments into their thrift savings plan it's it's not uh, sustainable a sustainable model going right. forward and it just fundamentally if you want to if you want to encourage employment or uh, re- re- recruiting and retention then you spend today's dollars on today's folks. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen, I mean, Delta and GM and all the private corporations that, you know, had to find benefits, had to be bailed out by the federal government. We've seen, as you said, the federal government's gone away from it. Many municipalities and states have gone away from it because that unfunded liability snowball just keeps going on. And as I said, I mean, correct me, we still have the unfunded liability of the previous tiers, right? I mean, it's in the billions of dollars that were still owed to, to I mean, this is not a small uh, 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 liability that we already have, and it seems like nobody is acknowledging that this would add to that. Yeah, when we have uh, great stock market years, that unfunded liability goes down because the investment um, earnings uh, kind of close that gap. And then when we have bad stock market years, that gap grows and the um, the unfunded liability grows. The the point being that the future generations, the future taxpayers are the ones that are on the hook for that risk in investment earnings. And I think that is fundamentally a wrong thing for us to do is to saddle future generations with that risk that that they have to increase their taxes for people who are no longer in the workforce. 
Yeah. That, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, we need to, we need to put that risk on the individual because we're all, we all share equally in the risk of the future being unknown. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're down to the last couple minutes here before uh, before we're going to have to let him go. Ben, um, your exhortation to the listeners, to the residents, to the people who are watching this, who are gnashing their teeth after this last election. Uh, I mean, how, what do we do? What, how do we, you know, what is the next two years plan before the next elections? How do we encourage people to get out? Give me your thoughts on, you know, what the next steps are. Uh, looking forward, not just to this session, but obviously to the next election in 24, what do we need to be doing? Well, I think if the if the uh, people of Alaska want to see um, us return to a one vote, uh, one person, one vote system, then they need to keep the pressure up on the legislature this year to repeal that. And if they if the legislature refuses to do so, then um, support the efforts that are going to uh, come about or that are coming about about getting this back on the ballot um, for the next time we we come around to to repeal the ranked choice voting portion of this and and I think that's really really key is that if if you didn't like ranked choice voting then you're gonna have to stay involved you don't just don't just expect that it's gonna happen so that's one one point I think the second point is if if you can't um, if you're unable to say that you have reached out and had conversations with the 10 neighbors around you about what is important to you politically, then that's something that you should just set a goal and be able to do that by the end of the year, that you've had those conversations, invite them over to dinner and have those difficult conversations. We bought into the lie that we shouldn't talk about politics or religion, and we need to be better at talking about both. Representative Ben Carpenter, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free Thinking Radio. Right, ben i know you got to go here in just a few minutes so uh we're gonna uh uh we'll try and uh wrap things up here for you um i i think going back to the defined benefits program i mean that's obviously the leaky sieve um i've often likened it to uh you know triage where somebody's got a cut femoral artery and they just keep well we'll just keep putting you know ivs into their arms and pumping more fluids into them while they're bleeding out on the floor uh, below the waist because, uh, you know, they haven't fixed the problem. They're addressing the symptom, but they're not fixing the problem. And I think it opens us up to, uh, again, potential catastrophic liability. They keep saying, oh, we've learned, we've learned. But we've seen what's happened. I mean, pol- it's more about politics than it is about arithmetic in the long run for that. And that could just exacerbate the problems that we have already uh, with the lack of diversity, the lack of revenue, and the ever-increasing appetite for government spend. Yeah, I mean, if we're using your analogy on on uh, somebody who's bleeding out, um, we aren't looking at the future generation and saying, hey, you automatically have to come in and give your platelets or your blood because th- these people are bleeding out. It, it wasn't it's not on my, you know, they're, it's not my responsibility to deal with the past. It's my responsibility to deal with the future. And and I'm <laughs> I, I I bristle at this idea that we should not we should be. Um, requiring additional taxation into the future at people who didn't get to vote on it and right. and then just say, hey, you know what, they can they have a say in their legislature at that time as to whether they want to keep the policy or not. Nah, no, because um, this uh, no diminishing um, 
no, uh, what is it? The retirement can't be diminished into the future. Once you're, once you're in that system, you're in that system until you die. Right. And that's not, that's not a, this is, we just need to not start it again. Right. Well, it's today's dollars for today's employees. That's what it needs to be. Right. It's a contract with Alaska or contract on Alaska, because again, you're indebting and basically uh, binding anybody today and future residents to whatever you decide today for the next you know, fill out the blank 20 years for whoever's currently in the system right now, if they all of a sudden become part of that defined benefit, we're on the hook for 20 years, regardless of what we want or whatever the fiscal situation is. Fiscal situation could change and and turn right to hell in the state of Alaska, and it wouldn't matter. That's still the number one priority because we've agreed to it. And opening up that Pandora's box, I think, is very, very dangerous to, uh, to say the least. Um, uh, you know, for, for what we have going on. And you, you talked about the, you've mentioned it several times, the, the long-term vision. And, and that is really, I think one of the key problems in this state is that we lack a significant, um, uh, we, we lack, we lack long-term vision. It's always like this next budget or maybe two budgets from now. But even when the governor puts out a 10-year, you know, vision or 10-year plan, none of that's it, – it's it's like, oh, that's nice. And then they move back on to what are we doing this year, next year. No, It's always to the next election cycle or the next budget. There's not a lot of long-term planning in this state, it seems like to me, from the outside looking in. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. And, and some of that comes down to individual I, – I don't know. I don't want to – you know, be disparaging of, of people, but um, comes down to individual choice on what you prioritize in your life. And if you don't have your own long-term plan about where you think you're going in the future, then why would you care what the what happens with the state? I mean, that's fundamentally that's maybe right. what we're up against is is a little bit of apathy in the in the public. But it right. is really important that we say to ourselves, where do we want the state of Alaska to be in 10, 20 years? What do we want to turn over toward to the next generation? Do we want an economy that's just on um, limping along on oil when the entire world is going against oil production right now. Right. Do, do we want that? Or do we want to, do we want to figure out what do we have resource wise that gives us an opportunity to pass on a better state to the next generation and, and um, pool our resources to make that happen. Part of that. I know can- the governor is doing a, doing a, um, um, a good effort at fighting back against a federal overreach and that is that is something that must happen and maybe that's one thing that people ought to be doing this next um this next year is reaching out to their u.s delegation and uh, making it very clear that the that alaska needs to be able to develop its own resources for its own economic benefit it's what we were promised at statehood and the federal government is is preventing us from doing that uh ben carpenter uh, our guest ben we're down to the last minute before we return to radio you have to go right or are you staying with us to the top i do there? Okay. no I'm, i've got to leave here very okay. shortly all right well ben thank you for coming on board and joining us i appreciate it are you doing anything any uh, town halls meet and greets or anything before the session or what's what's going on quickly here um no i don't but i am very busy in organization so um that's kind of my focus right now. Okay. Focus is organization. Fingers crossed we can get a control of one. I mean, the best case scenario is kind of gridlock between the Senate and the House, and then the governor gets to uh, to do some veto stuff on top of that. So hopefully we see that come along. Um, uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. If I don't see you before Christmas, yeah, Merry Christmas. You're welcome. The, the governor's budget comes out here very soon, and we'll obviously be on top of that. All right. Thank you for coming on board, Ben. We appreciate you being part of it today. 
Thanks, Michael. It's always a pleasure. All right. We're jumping back into it, folks. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. All right. Um, Thank you to Ben Carpenter for being part of the program here this morning and giving us his insight. Interesting that, um, I mean, I'm seeing more and more of this, and and maybe it's the right play. Maybe it's the right play. But even amongst, uh, you know, senators, like we had Mike Shower on yesterday, um, uh, where, you know, we could talk a little bit about it, but we, you know, we weren't naming names per se. Um, and now Ben Carpenter saying, you know, we, we just, he, he's not going to tackle that bull by the horns during the organizational process in an, in an attempt to not antagonize folks that he may have to work with in forming this, uh, majority or the organization. And I think that's interesting, um, because it, it basically means that, uh, you know, the, our side is, you know, walking softly, uh, because the, uh, you know, these are folks that they're going to have to work with. And obviously what they've been doing in the past, and I'm thinking specifically here of Shower on this, but he's obviously irritated some people um, by calling out their actions. Now, we've never cast aspersions on, you know, uh, the the character, the motive or anything else. It's, it's more about it's always about the action. Uh, I mean, I do mock occasionally uh, certain characteristics or people. But again, I think that in their own hearts and their own uh, minds, these people think that what they're doing is um, is the right thing. Right. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not never saying that, uh, you know, somebody is evil or they uh, you know, they're trying to accumulate power directly. I think a lot of these people in their heart of hearts look themselves in the mirror and goes, this is the right thing to do. I just disagree with it. But it seems like more and more, and again, this comes back from that kind of shocking revelation from this last election where I knew things were kind of turning purple in the state, but I thought still that there was a majority of, um, uh, you know, was a majority of uh, more smaller government, less spend conservatives. And I'm coming to the conclusion that either A, no, we're just strictly in the minority and more people in Alaska would rather the government continue to grow and spend money. Or B, those of us who, you know, those who are similar to us that believe that smaller, more limited government is important and a smaller government spend is important, that they're just not involved. Or they've thrown their hands up and they've walked off the field and they're like, nope, not not going to participate anymore. So it's either one of those two things. Quite honestly, I can't decide which one is is uh, is the is the worst potential. I, I I guess I would say that if at least if the if if it's the latter, if it's just that people who identify in this or philosophically aligned with us uh, in the smaller government side, if at least if they have just thrown up their hands and walked off the field, well, at least um, you know there's a potential to bring them back. Right. There's a potential that we could somehow 
convince them to rejoin the rejoin the fight. If it's the other one, if it's the first one, if it's just that, no, we have just now become a strong minority and that the vast majority of Alaskans are like, do whatever you want. If government wants to spend money, spend money. I like them government, that government lucre. I like them services. I like the, you know, first of all, I think it's an educational issue, right? Um, But I think that that, that scenario, if it's the, if it's the first and we're just a flat minority, that's going to make it a much harder fight. Now, some of that is simply education. And this goes back to what I've said in the past about, you know, Alaska, that we are being stealth taxed, right? Uh, well, stealth and not so stealth, but we're being, the tax is almost unfelt. It's un, it's unseen. It's unheard of. You know, um, the, 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 it's like I've always talked about the evil of, of withholding taxes. That's an, I mean, I love Milton Friedman, don't get me wrong, but I think he was so wrong on this because what happens is people just don't, you know, you get your pay and you don't, you didn't notice the taxes that maybe you did, but it was like, well, it's just, I can't control it, taxes or other. Whereas if you got your full pay all year long and you had to write that check to the federal government every year, there would be some outrage, right? And that's what we're seeing here in the state of Alaska. I mean, they're providing us with all these services, quote unquote. And the way they're being paid for is all that money is going straight into the government coffers right out of the bat. We never even see it. It never touches us. It never affects us. And so we're like, well, I mean, fine. I didn't feel it. I mean, what government services do I use? Well, I can't really name any, but, you know, government services are important. And since I don't pay for it because I don't see it, then uh, that's fine. And this go hands in hand, hand in hand with what I was talking about earlier this week, which was the aversion to tax. We're so tax adverse. Oh, don't get do anything you want, but don't but don't tax me, bro. And that's how government has grown and, you know, continues to grow out of control. Is because we don't see the money. We don't feel it come out of our pocketbook again. If you wanted to see a revolution in this state, and I'm not talking about like a civil war, I'm just talking about a, an eye-opening, complete sea change in this state, instead of giving the money for the royalty oil, et cetera, straight to the government and allowing it to go straight into their coffers, because that's 75% of that royalty money just goes straight into the government's, uh, goes straight into the general fund to spend however they want. Instead of that, if they issued a check equally to every citizen in the state of Alaska, let's say that everybody who filed for a dividend got the royalty check and you would get a check for, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars per man, woman and child in your household. And you'd be like, yay. And then the next day you received the bill in the mail from the state of Alaska for the cost of state government. Because now they have to tax you directly the money. They don't get first crack at the money. It goes to you, and then they get to take it back from you. And you figured out that out of that $18,000 check, you had to write the government a check for $17,000. People will start asking questions like, what services am I getting that are, that are worth, you know, 1500 bucks a month to me? How, how, what services am I getting or using that it's costing me $17,000 and my family, it's costing my family, family of four, it's costing us, you know, $70,000 a year for my family. Am I using $70,000? Is my family using 70000 No. 
I mean, there would be an abrupt, you would hear the screeching halt from Florida in what was going on inside the state of Alaska. Because you see, most people don't understand in the state, they don't know what their government costs. They don't know what the actual expenditure is. And what's more, they don't care because again, they don't see it. People started to see it when they started taxing the PFD, again, more kind of a withholding tax than anything else. But they also, again, are not taking it to its logical conclusion of, oh, my PFD is supposed to be, you know, $3,900 and I got $1,000. Well, I'm glad I got the thousand. Yeah, but what about the other 2,800 bucks? What about that? You know, what, what, you know, I, I think that it's going to be an educational process to explain to people what the cost of government is. And until we do that, people just, they have no idea, no idea at all. We're going to open up the phone lines in hour two. Okay. Um, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a little frustrated. <laughs> and here's Randy diverting all the state revenue into pockets of people who didn't earn it would create a massive population of bums and a massive state income tax on those few who are still working for a living. You're missing my point, Randy, as always. It's uh, sometimes I wonder if it's willful blindness. You're missing my point. I'm saying if all that money flowed into the people's hands, if you got a check for $18,000, Randy, and then the next day you got a bill for $17,000 for your share of state services that you supposedly consume, would you be more or less motivated to see the size and scope of government grow or shrink? Right? I mean, you're you're missing the whole point. Uh, you're you're and by the way, then you'd be taxed on all that money that you got in and and everything. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's never going to happen because the politicians understand. I mean, first of all, it would be, well, I mean, mechanically, it would be a heavy lift to have to pay everybody tens of thousands of dollars and then tax them back. You'd have to create a whole new department and yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, the powers that be in the legend would never allow that because then the game would be, the curtain would be drawn back and you'd see the guy pulling all the levers. You would understand that your government is costing more than any other government in the country on a per capita basis, and you'd be asking why. Well, because they get the money first. The money goes straight to them. I mean, I've, I've often wondered if, if it wouldn't just be better just to have a tax so that people at least understood what the cost of government is. Because right now it's all going on behind the scenes. It's all stealthily happening and nobody's paying attention. They're all fat, dumb and happy. Like, oh, OK, whatever. Do whatever you want. Just don't tax me, bro. Do whatever you want. Just don't, you know, no, no, no. Um, but that's, that, I guess that's just me. 
So we can uh, talk about this and uh, see what you have to say on it. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll get your we'll get your thoughts and your feels on this um, uh, as we continue. I guess I should. Uh, I didn't have the phones turned on, so I guess I'll turn the phones on. First things first, and we'll see where we go from here. Come on, join. There we go. All right, and click. Yeah. Um. Uh, that gover- that gentleman who defeated Tuckerman is a turncoat right off the bat. So no whining from the peninsula, okay? I mean, they can whine all they want. Look, I mean, there are plenty of people. I'm looking at you, Harold. Uh, plenty of people who prove positive that whining is a universal right. Anybody can whine. I whine all the time. I whine about, I bitch and moan about stuff all the time. But um, it is uh, it is shocking to see a lot of this stuff uh, stuff happening right now. Uh, okay, uh, let me uh, make sure I've got everything squared away here. Uh, this is, man, I rebooted everything before the show started this morning, including my router, and it's still challenging to, <laughs> it's still slow, a little slow. Come on, people. I haven't set up my Starlink yet because I'm, uh, I don't want to switch everything over to something that's still iffy. But we'll see what's going on. All uh, participants are muted. Hey, look at that. The phone lines are up and working. Okay. So phone lines are up. Uh, coming up on the show tomorrow, uh, Jeff Knox is going to be joining us uh, from the Firearms Coalition. We're going to be talking about the gun-free zones, especially the Walmart situation here recently, where the employee went in there and and uh, and and killed a bunch of folks. Um, and we were going to have Chris Chang, but Chris Chang is... He just sent me a text yesterday and said he forgot to tell me he's on vacation in South America. So, must be nice. He's on vacation, and so we will see him in January. Uh, So, it'll be uh, only Jeff Knox and Willie Waffle tomorrow. That's the plan. Anyway, we'll see what goes on from there. What's your plan for the weekend? Shoveling the whole weekend? I actually paid my neighbor money to come over with his snowblower because my kids were trying to sling that snow out of the driveway. No. I mean, it was so wet and heavy and everything else. And I slipped him a couple dollars and said, when you're done with yours, would you just come over to mine and cut? And then I got stuck at the bottom of my own driveway. I, I mean, just, it was, what a hot mess. What a hot, 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 hot mess. Uh, I was, <laughs> I've been driving around fine on these tires on my car. They're not great tires. Uh, the, the new car came with like, they all season whatever they're not blizzacks i'll tell you that for nothing my other mini cooper i could go anywhere i pushed six inches of snow one time going into anchorage in it it was fine these tires no bueno so (laughs) i need to wear them out and get get me some blizzacks here pretty quick uh all right well uh we're coming up on it uh we're about a minute out and uh you guys have been Super quiet this morning. Well, I mean, not all of you. There's been a few of you said a few things, but uh, are you are you guys ready? I mean, should we keep going on politics or should we change things and just go to fun stuff to, in the next hour? I mean, I'm I'm all good with it. I'm okay with it. Whatever you want, you know. Yeah, I, I'll I'll know what you want to do. All right, uh, let's get back to it. The Michael Luke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share. 
It was a cold. You're right. It's not a hot mess. It's a cold mess. Although it was a warm mess because that's when it gets bad. Now, you know, the temperature starts to drop. It's 10 degrees. A lot easier to drive than at 30 degrees. Just because. Let's do fun stuff. Nobody wants to talk about politics anymore. Me either. The Michael Duke Show. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. I got to turn it up. Kirk, I got to push the button across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning. Good, good Thursday morning. Hey, I didn't do a Christmas countdown, uh, Christmas countdown. So uh, 10 plus that is 17 days. 16 days until Christmas Eve. 16 days until Christmas Eve. You got your Christmas shopping done? I've still got one or two things I'm waiting on. I, I think they're coming. I think they're coming. I gotta, I'm gotta. i thinking about that. You know, then you got to go do the stocking stuffers. You know, you got to get the chocolate. You got to get the bath bombs for the wife and the daughters. You got to get, you know, there's still a few things I got to get. But I'm pretty much covered, I think, for most of it. I think that'll be fine. But... 16 days, baby. 16 days until Christmas Eve. <clears throat> so I hope you're I hope you're ready. I hope you've got it all done. Uh, I took a poll in the chat room before we came back from the break because I'm like, I am just like uh I I'm about politicked out right now. I mean, and this thing with Ben is like, you know, I'm like, right. I mean, we could rehash this over and over and over again, but Maybe we should just let him organize and then we can figure out where we go from there. Maybe we should just cover some good news. Or maybe we should just take some phone calls. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Powered by our friends at Satellite West. Uh, phone calls. Maybe we'll take some phone calls and see where you lead us. Uh, and Maybe that's what we'll do. Maybe we'll let you drive the bus as far as talking about certain things. We could just talk about what we were you know, whatever. And then in the meanwhile, I'll, I'll fill it out with other, with some news stories and some good news and some just chat about fun stuff and some of the things that I'm reading. We'll just, we'll figure it out. Let's go over to the phones. How about that? First things first, we'll see what you guys have to say. So I got one line on hold. 
and a bunch of lines open, 907-433-3150. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello, Michael. Greg down in Homer. Hello, Greg. What's happening, my friend, down there in God's land? Well, it's clear and uh, 24 degrees, 25 degrees. Pretty nice. We've we got zero snow out of that storm. Oh, you guys, you guys lucked out. I got all your snow on top of my own, so it's it's all good. What's uh, yeah? We got a bunch coming this weekend. We're supposed to get hit for the next ten or twelve days. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll wait for Sunday morning to see what it brings. Right. Anyway, I just called to uh, uh, be devil's ad- advocate here for a minute. Okay. So with all this stuff going on in our state, it's a total train wreck anyway. What if we just let them wreck the train, let the state go bankrupt, and restart with a smaller government? I mean, that I have considered that thought occasionally. Uh, I have just considered that thought. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I've kind of taken that approach to the national government because we can't really affect very much of it. And it's like, well, it's going to eventually, like I said, the, the train tracks are out. And you could either put the handbrake on the train to slow it down, or you could just pour the coal to it and say, hold my beer. This is going to be spectacular. And I think I've fallen into the latter camp on the national stuff. I mean, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to crash because there's no appetite to stop anything. So all we can do is prepare our own houses for, you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And maybe we need to take that tact with the... Maybe we need to take that tact with the uh, uh, with the state as well. I don't know, Greg. You you might be right. I mean, do we? But I guess the question is, do we just throw our hands up in the air and turn our backs on it and watch it explode, or do we keep fighting? Or what? I mean, what what do you think? Well, in my my humble opinion, is we're fighting hard, and the uh, problem is we've lost half our troops because at forty percent voter turnout. <laughs> That's 60% of the troops are gone. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're kind of chasing our own tail here. And, I mean, I'm not going to quit fighting, but I'm at the point. It's like, you know what? Run this baby off the tracks. Let's start over because it's we can't we ain't fixing what we're, what's being broke. It's just getting worse. So I, I guess this goes back to my suggestion the other day that we pull a full 180 and just start advocating for yeah give us a give us an income tax and do this and do that. I mean, do should we just flip 180 and just stress the system until it explodes and then pick up the pieces? I mean, I you know, I'm laughing, but I just I not, just don't know. Not a bad idea. Yeah, I just don't. I'm know. at the at the point uh, I I would not cry about uh, say a two to three percent flat tax with a sunset clause on it. So when they get their act together and they trim things a little bit, or a lot in our case, uh, then they can sunset it out. Yeah. I mean, Mike Schauer had some charts here last year that were pretty impressive. And I like where he was headed with them. And I hate yeah. like I have to pay more tax. But currently, their taxing is so heavy on the PFD, uh, 2% wouldn't be anything. Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, you get a family of uh, two or three or four. 
uh, and you look at a you know you look at that versus say a three uh, percent overall flat tax, yeah, I mean it, it starts to look pretty attractive. Not to mention, as I was talking about earlier, the stealth taxation of all the money going straight into the state and people just not paying attention. Greg, I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody uh, about the state government, and have you ever dropped that that nugget of you know they spend fourteen fifteen thousand dollars per person in the state on state government? Have you ever dropped that on somebody and watched their eyes widen? Yeah, it, yeah. The the problem is their eyes widen and immediately glaze over. That's true. It's I mean, it's, it's you're right. It's, uh, just it's like talking to a wall. It, yeah. They oh yeah okay that oh no gone. You you think you're gonna get them and then they fade away and it, it's sad. It, you know we've we've been fighting up here for a lot of years, and if you look at the conservative side. We are slowly losing the war. Yeah, no, and I, it's depressing. Well, that, I can. I think that was again my acknowledgement coming out of this last election is that I think that we are in the minority. Maybe not in the minority of actual population, but in the voting in the voting population, we've become the minority, and that's disheartening to say the least. Well, so if you take that say forty percent number. Uh, our side is is producing about eighteen percent. It's tight, but we're we if we don't get the conservative people to get out and and participate and vote and move. I mean, our elections went way left, and you look at the big elections in the lower forty-eight; they went way left, and the the Democrats literally, or the leftist side, literally spent three to four to one financially yep. against us. Yeah. We don't have the money to keep up. Yeah. Well, look at what happened with the Constitutional Convention question. They were outspent 100 to one. I mean, 100 to one. How do you compete yep. with that? How do you do it? It's a... I mean, I, you know, I don't know, Greg. I don't know what the answer is. And, I God, I hate to give up. I hate to I'm, – I'm just not one to give up. But at the same time, uh, I have – like I said, I've kind of embraced that philosophy on the national level. That's why I don't usually cover national politics because we we can't make an effect and it's kind of bread and circuses and it doesn't matter because both the Democrats and the Republicans have no appetite to curb the spend. and It's eventually going to hit the wall. And then what are we going to do, right? So I'm just like, well – let it crash. We'll yep. have to be. How do you unpickle a pickle? You don't. You throw it on the ground. You crush it under your you heel, and you crush <laughs> it under your heel, and you go get a new cucumber. That's what you do. And maybe that's that's what has to happen yep. here. All right, Greg. Thank you for calling in. Well, my I'll, 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 I'll yeah, I'll go right along with you. If, you know, if you if if we need to go support uh, flat tax, I'm all over it. So you have a great day, Michael. Thanks. Be for careful with us now. Appreciate it. Thank you for your call. 907-433-3150. I don't know if that's what we need to do. I don't know if we need to, but maybe it either, maybe it accelerates the the inevitable end or maybe it wakes people up. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm casting around looking for everything because what we're doing is not working. Over here we go. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? My name's Christine, and I live in the land of Jesse Bjorkman. Jesse Bjorkman's land, down on the peninsula. What's going on, Christine? Yeah. My question for you today is, do we think now that Brittany Griner is back on sacred U.S. soil, 
that she will be any more loving of this country than she was of her Russian work camp. <laughs> Today she is home. Yeah, for back those... with us to vilify the United States. Right. For those of you who don't know who Whitney Griner is, she's the WNBA basketball star that was playing some exhibition game in Russia and got arrested for drug possession and got put in a gulag and uh, looked like she was going to spend the next nine or ten years there. And apparently this morning, in a surprise announcement, the U.S. announced that they had traded her for a known arms dealer that they had in prison that the Russians wanted back. And so they traded her, and she's coming back to U.S. soil. And she was vehemently kind of, I hate this country, but I mean, I'm willing to make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, but I hate this country. Uh, We'll see if she changes her tune, if she comes back and kisses the ground on American soil or not. Uh, We'll see what happens with that, Christine. But yeah, I mean, shocking, uh, not really, but. And I do have one other question. Do the people on the, in the audience know what critical mass means? Critical mass? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know what I know. Does anybody understand what that means? I mean, I know what. Those are my questions. Yeah, and I'll I'll hang up and listen to the answer. All right. Well, thank you, Christine. I mean, I know what critical mass means. It's when something gains enough momentum that it is inexorable that it's going to reach its logical conclusion. Uh, Again, our train scenario. Uh, when the train reaches critical mass, it means that no matter how much you apply the brakes, it's still going to go off the end of the bridge that's broken, right? I mean, when something reaches that critical mass phase, it's inevitable that the uh, that the foreseen outcome is going to happen. Um, I don't know if Christine is asking if we have reached the critical mass in the U.S. or here in the state of Alaska or what, but potentially – I mean, potentially we may have reached that tipping, you know, it's also critical tipping point is another way of saying the tipping point. You've gone over the tipping point or, you know, it's the uh, point of no return is another way to say it, you know, Um, and uh, it's the go no go point for pilots. You know, when you reach a certain point where you you know you'll have enough fuel to get back uh, until you reach that no go point, go no go point. And when you're gone beyond it, you know, you don't have enough fuel to get back. So you're going to have to sit down somewhere else. Um, that's kind of what the whole idea of critical mass is. Um, and maybe have we reached it in the country? I think we have in the United States nationally. Uh, I mean, we're talking about 40, what is it? Almost $41 trillion in debt. The unfunded liabilities, we don't even talk about, but they are well in excess of $150 trillion in unfunded liabilities on that debt. So now you're talking about $200 trillion in debt and unfunded liabilities. How are you ever going to, you know, I think it's inevitable at this point. I mean, the critical mass is definitely on board with that. Now, here in the state of Alaska, have we reached that point? Well, if not, um, I think we can, I think we could see it from here. If we haven't reached that point, we can definitely probably shade our eyes and look out over the horizon and know that it's coming somewhere in the future. All right. Well, the phone lines are still open. And um, maybe we'll do some fun stuff on the other side. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Michael Luke show. Common sense, liberty-based, 
Free Thinking Radio. We continue with more, your phone calls, and everything else right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Not enough wealth on the planet to take care of our debt and unfunded liabilities. Been pointing that out forever. Unfunded liabilities, but everyone just gets the national debt. I, this is forty. It's close to forty. Tra- let me let me go do us debt. Maybe I'm maybe I'm looking into the future. Uh, U.S. debt uh, debt clock. Uh, what's the current? Uh, here we go. Real time. What's the real time national debt clock look like? Hit me with it, baby. Give me the bad news. Uh, you're right. I'm sorry. 31, not 40, 31 trillion in debt. Um, 31 trillion in debt with only 4 trillion of U S federal tax revenue. Uh, and the federal spending is officially at almost $6 trillion. So (laughs) they add another trillion dollars to the debt every year. Ooh, baby. Oh. <laughs> what's the time machine say? Uh, give me the 2026. What's the U.S. debt for 2026 say? Um, oh, yeah. Hey, 2020. That must have been where I got the number. 2026. That's the farthest out that the debt clock goes, says $41 trillion, almost $42 trillion in debt in four in three years, four years. Um, so yeah, there's, there's always, there's always that. Um, okay. Um, care Clift, uh, threw something out there that I thought was, um, is, is I thought actually pretty relevant and pretty thick. The Rep- she says the Republicans deserve to lose. They I'm, care is a libertarian. Okay. So, uh, you know, she's like the Republicans deserve to lose. They are way too concerned <clears throat> about legislating morality instead of protecting inherent individuals rights to be sinners. I don't disagree with that. I mean, because we talk about compulsion by government, right? I mean, that's been the whole thing on this, you know, this U.S. Supreme Court case on the uh, website developer in Colorado and the cake baker in Colorado and all this stuff, you know, going on that now we're talking about not just protecting. We're talking about the government compelling uh, people to do certain things. And that is that is problematic. Um, State censorship is bad but compulsion is is just as bad when you are compelled to do sing uh, do something that is inherently contrary to your personal beliefs by the government that's just as bad if not worse than censorship censorship is one thing because information will always you can never stop the signal right you can't stop the signal so censorship is one thing but compulsion by government 
to do something that is, you know, against your personal beliefs, religious, philosophical, whatever, those are wrong. And even if even if it's for their own good, even if you're doing something, you know, you're trying to enforce or legislate morality at the point of a government gun, that it's still that doesn't make it right. I may even agree with the moral stand that you're trying to stake, but I totally and vehemently disagree that it should be done at the point of a government gun. People need to be free to make, that's what free will is about. As long as you're not hurting others, you could, you should be able, you know, you should be able to do anything you want. This is something that people have had a hard time with that. I've said this for years. People should be able to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else and infringe on somebody else's rights. I mean, you want to smoke bath salts and uh, take heroin. You want to marry your toaster. You know, you want to be part of a bigamist, uh, polygamist cult. I, I don't care. Are you hurting anybody else? No. Not my job, man. Now, I can tell you what I believe and why I believe you should change what you're doing. But it's not the government's position to get involved in that. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case everywhere. All right, uh, we're going to get back into it. Uh, Let's jump in. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show continues. We've had some interesting um, conversations in the chat room here during the break, and a couple interesting comments. I was wrong. It wasn't forty. I would. I've been. I would, did. A, I read an article the other day about the debt, and I was quoting the forty trillion number is actually for three years from now. Sorry. We're at 31 trillion right now. The US debt clock is projecting that by 2026 we'll be at 41 trillion and adding 1 to 1.5 trillion dollars a year to the debt because that's the deficit every year. Um so again, train brake handle on one side, coal box on the other, just keep shoveling the coal in. That's where we're going right now. Just keep shoveling, just keep shoveling, just keep shoveling, shoveling, shoveling. Uh I mean it's again it's going to be it's going to be spectacular spectacular there was also a comment in the chat room which i'm going to requote now because i think it's uh, important i mean we'll get into some fun stuff i got some good news we're going to get to in the next segment okay so i know when i said before the last before the top of the hour i'd be like what do you guys want to do you want to keep going on politics or you want to talk about fun stuff and it was like fun stuff a bunch of people we're going to get to some fun stuff but there, again, this conversation is happening in real time, so we've got these conversations. Care is in the chat room. Care is a libertarian friend of mine. And here's what she says. She says, the Republicans deserved to lose. They are way too concerned with legislating morality 
instead of protecting inherent individuals' rights to be sinners. And I got to say that I don't disagree with that. Now, I know it's our Christian duty to extol the gospels and tell people hey and i i believe that now i'm not a i'm not an i'm not a evangelical i don't you know i'm not i'm not throwing that out there at every minute um i tell people what i believe and i tell people why i believe that what i believe is right so if somebody is you know doing something that i don't agree with i don't slap them in the chest with a bible and say get good you know i say well this is what i believe I believe people should have the right. This is what free will is about, right? Free will is about, you know, doing what you decide to do. And that's why as a libertarian, I've always embraced the ideal of, uh, you know, kind of do no harm, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. You know, the non-aggression principle, essentially breaking it down to you should be able to do whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt anyone else. So, like, I mean, you want to shoot up heroin, you want to smoke bath salts, you want to marry your toaster, you want to become part of a, a, a you know, a, a, a polyamorous cult or a polygamy. I mean, fine. Are you hurting anybody? I mean, is everybody, as, as, long, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it should not be government's job to enforce morality at the point of a gun. You know, we've been talking about this Supreme Court case that's going on right now with the uh, website designer in Colorado. Why is it always Colorado? It was the cake baker in Colorado, and now it's the website designer. This court case is to say whether or not she should be forced to create websites for same-sex marriage couples. Now, again, if you want to marry, you know, if you want to marry same sex, if you want to do that, you want to marry again, you're I mean, in Japan, they got guys where uh, marrying um, um, uh, AI, you know, represent avatars, you know, digital. Some people married their sex bots or whatever. You know, if you want to do that, hey, that's weird. I think it's weird and wrong. But who am I? I? I don't have to stand in front of the seat and say, this is what I did. Right. The idea that you have state censorship on one hand and on the opposite hand, you've got state compulsion. State censorship is horrible. Right. But state censorship is really the lesser of those evils. Because with censorship, I mean, let's face it, as I said, once the genie's out of the bottle, you know, there's a black market. There's, you can't stop the signal. Censorship is bad. Don't get me wrong. But compulsion by the state to do something that you are morally, religiously, or philosophically opposed to, that is worse. And that's what we're talking about here. Compulsion by the state, the government, to do something that you are absolutely morally opposed to. And that's what they're discussing right now. Whether or not they are going to compel this woman, this web designer, to create same-sex marriage websites or have the government just completely put her out of business. Those are your choices. So that's actually the opposite of enforcing morality, right? I mean, what Kerr was talking about. On the other hand, I don't think the government should have any business you know, in interpersonal relationships or telling people, why do we, here's the thing when it comes to the marriage thing. And I've, I've often asked this, what, 
why do we even, why, why should I even ask the government for permission to marry somebody? Marriage is a contract between two people or apparently three or five or whatever, but a marriage is a contract. The government should have no, why am I going hat in hand to the government and saying, please, please, can I marry the person I love? What business is it of the government? Am I wrong? Right? This is what's happening. Government should not, should not be legislating morality. Because the government itself has no morals. And legislating morality at the point of a gun, at the barrel of a gun, is not true morality anyway. People have to be judged on their own merits and what they do. You have to, that's what free will is about. And again, I'm not talking about somebody doing something that hurts other people. There's obviously rules and laws for that. I'm talking about leaving people be. Now, that doesn't mean you can't tell them you think they're wrong. Doesn't mean that people in the public square can't tell the cake baker or the website designer that you're wrong. Doesn't mean that they can't publicly shame them. Doesn't mean that they can't do all that stuff. But to have the government come in and compel you through threat of force and violence. That's what that is, by the way. Force and violence. Because if she keeps doing what she's doing and the government says, no, we've shut you down and she keeps doing it, then guys with guns will show up at their door and arrest her and put her in a cage. That's one of the framers. Was it Washington? or Government is force. It is violence. That's what government is. In its base, I mean, if you boil it down to its base nature, that's what it is. Wow, we got a little deep there. Let's go over to the uh, phones and see what you guys have to say. Do you agree with me or you disagree with me? Uh, I'm curious. Over here. Good morning. Who is this? Where are you calling from? Morning, Michael. This is Bubba from North Pole. And yes, I do agree with you. I do. Um, people want to, you can't stop people from doing wrong if that's what they're going to do. But uh, two things really quick. I have started a new job. I started at nine, so I missed your whole first hour. <laughs> um, I'm not getting up, but you know, I missed that. <clears throat> Anyhow, two things really quick. Number one, who is the third uh, person? Mike Showers, Sarah Vance, and who's the third one that wouldn't get into the caucus? Uh, no, it was Mike Who's Shower. Seven? It was Mike Shower, Shelley Hughes, and Rob Meyer. Oh, Sarah, Sarah Vance is in the house. Oh, so, great, great. Yeah. So it's. Sh- Shelly down in the Kenai, in uh, Homer, Kenai area. Uh, yeah, yeah she, great. Yeah, Shelly. Glad to hear Rob Myers. Then. Yeah, Rob Myers from Fairbanks, and then Mike Shower and Shelly Hughes from the Matsu. Those are the three senators that got uh, 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 edged out. Good, good on them. Um, and I've supported all three of them financially. Um, and here's the other one, really quick. Uh, I just heard this last night. Um, Biden Fetterman 2024. It's a no brainer. <laughs> oh God. Uh, bump, bumper sticker. Bumper sticker. That's right. We that's, can make money on that. You know? That's a bumper sticker that right there. Yep. 
All right. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks right, thanks for calling in. I appreciate you being part of it today. Uh, phone lines are open, as you can hear, at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. So, I mean, what do you think? Am I wrong? Because, I mean, you're right. Whether it's censorship or compulsion, both of those are bad uh, on government side. And we've seen both of those things come from both sides of the political aisle. We've seen compulsion and, and, and censorship on both sides of the aisle. That's, you know, you know, that that's that's part of the problem. Uh, so I, I get your take on that as well. Coming up on tomorrow's program, just FYI, for those of you who are uh, looking around for what's happening tomorrow, it is Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature. We're going to be talking uh, tomorrow in hour one with Jeff Knox from the Firearms Coalition. Uh, he, of course, is the son of Neil Knox of NRA fame and the, you know, some of the some some of the early NRA scandals and things like that. We're going to talk with him about uh, uh, gun free zones. He specifically he wrote an article here recently for Ammo Land uh, that talked about the gun free zones and Walmart specifically. This latest the latest attack from the employee at Walmart, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and discuss that. It's been a while since we've had Jeff on the program. Um, and then uh, we normally have Chris Chang on the second uh, Friday of every month, but he texted me yesterday and said, "Hey, I forgot to tell you that I'm on vacation in South America and I won't be back. <laughs> I won't be." So we're gonna we're gonna see Chris Chang come up in uh, uh, in January, but we will have Willie Waffle. He will be finishing up the program with us tomorrow for some. He even said something in his email about some non Christmas movies, which I find hard to believe because I mean, it's all about Christmas. Shouldn't we be watching all the Christmas movies? As long as I don't have to hear Mariah Carey sing, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm I am okay with that. So tomorrow, Jeff Knox, Willie Waffle, and all the firearm discussion goodness that you could possibly want going on on Firearms Friday. Another quick reminder that um, as of and I, I gotta I know we're still uh, however many days out we are from it right now, but I will remind you that on December the twenty first which is uh, just under two weeks from yesterday or two weeks from yesterday, that will be my final broadcast for the uh, for 2022. I will be going on vacation starting the next morning. So Wednesday will be my last day, uh, Wednesday the 21st, and we will be um, in alternate programming uh, until the 2nd of January. Uh, which is Monday, the first day of the new year, the first work day of the new year. So I'll be off the air uh, for 12 days or so. Um, and maybe one of these days we'll figure out a way to get best ofs or some of these other things up. But, you know, again, this is a low budget radio show. I mean, you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> and my studio is in my house. so It's not like I'm inviting a guest host to come over and fill in for me. So we could we could talk about that. Maybe, you know, hey, maybe we could talk Chris Story into doing the show for 12 days. We'll see. He owes me. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. Maybe we'll get that done. <laughs> Maybe we can get him to fill in uh, that week between Christmas and New Year's. Maybe we could do that. Um, anyway, uh, it'll be it'll be fun stuff. We'll uh, we'll we'll figure it all out. Uh, OK, well, we, you know what? We're up at the break. So I guess we will. Um, I guess we'll take that and we'll come back uh, with one final segment where we have some good news. And some discussions of fun stuff, maybe. 
I guess we're done with politics. Nobody else is calling in disagreeing with me. So apparently everyone agrees with me on all my discussions of censorship and compulsion and leaving people be. You all must agree with me, I guess. Uh, We're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, breathing and radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um. <laughs> Maybe God's a libertarian. That's a joke there for the woke. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Laura, for making my day with that one. Maybe God is a libertarian. I mean, he wants everybody to do the right thing. He gave them the path to do the right thing, but he gave them free will. Do whatever you want to do, as long as you don't you know, hurt anybody else. That's, you know. Um, uh, that's, how I, that's how I surge with folks now. That's how I, I don't know if the word surge is what you were looking for. That's how I surge with folks now, says Michael. I just pull up the deck clock and ask them, how does this work? Usually I get the answer, uh, it just does from the moronic bunch. The more intelligent ones say, that's scary. It is scary. It is scary. Just go to, just Google U.S. deck clock and go look at it. You know, 31 trillion this year, 2026, 41 trillion with a trillion to a trillion and a half in uh, debt added every year. Ooh, baby. Um, Colorado, the new California. Love one another, do unto others as you would have done to you. Jesus is pretty much clear on that. Yep. You forgot worshiping the spaghetti monster. If they want to worship, I mean, Bill, if they want to worship the spaghetti monster, Fine. If they want to celebrate Ranahana Kwanzmas, I'm okay. You know, the Festivus, so, you know, what? Okay. Whatever. You know, if you want to believe that you were a space seed that was planted on Earth from what, you know, whatever. I, you know, who am I to, you know, I believe one thing, you believe something else. One of us has got it right, right? And, uh, I mean, I'd be an atheist, but I just ain't got that kind of faith. I mean, I've said that to people before. They're like, I'd be an atheist, but I just don't have that kind of faith. What do you mean? Well, if, you know, if if you're right, you know, if I'm right, then, you know, everything's good. I'm going to try and do my best to get into heaven and everything else. But if you're right as an atheist and I'm, you know, man, they don't make an asbestos suit thick enough to make sure you're going to, you know, hang out in the lake of fire for all eternity. I just don't have the kind of faith that there is no God. I believe that there is. I've seen too many things. I've been part of too many things. But if you want to believe that, hallelujah, just do it to it, baby. Do it to it. Um, 
The problem is that the uh, that the people that have the morals you're talking about embrace state force to make you accept what they do as normal. I don't care what other people do as long as they don't interfere with my rights and my tax money. Right. Well, and that's what the left does. Right. The right may say, you know, enforce. Uh, they they embrace the state to force you to do what they think is right. The left uses the state to embrace and enforce what they believe is, you know, whether it's, you know, normalizing homosexuality or whatever all these other things are. They do the same thing. So it's all state force. It's all coercion and compulsion. Would you just stop? Let people be who they are, what they're doing. Chris Byer says, I need five wives. <laughs> Man. There's something wrong. Are you even married? Uh, Because, I mean, one is enough for me. I love her to death. She is the joy and pride of my life. But four more? No. No, no, no. I mean, I look at these guys who are bigamists and have like, you know, I've got three wives or four wives. And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. I'm just like, I don't know. How, I mean, how? I, I mean, you know, wow. Um. So uh, Timothy says, so that's an interesting point. Devil's advocates say, why not have that viewpoint on abortion? I don't know which point he was making specifically, but again, abortion violates the non-aggression principle, in my opinion, because that person, that baby is a person. And so... Whether, you know, it's inconvenient for you or not is irrelevant because it's another person. And that's where we get off the rails between libertarians because most libertarians are pro-abortion or pro-choice, I guess. They would not pro-abortion, you know, whatever, however they say. Um, Because, well, it's her body. She should be able to do what she wants, except for it's a person. And generally speaking, 99 times out of 100, they made the choice to put for the potential to be there. I'm not talking about rape and incest. I'm talking about people just out there doing their thing. You know what I mean? So just because it's inconvenient for you and you made a bad choice doesn't mean that you get to harm another individual. That's my argument from the libertarian pro-life standpoint. Um, I'm still trying to get caught up here on all this stuff. Uh, from North Pole. Rob Myers is from North Pole, not Fairbanks. I know. You know what I mean. I mean, I mean come on. Um, hello, uh, the country's lost common sense was supposed to be an argument. We love Ben Carpenter. Okay. We got to go. Uh, actually have a line on hold. I just realized that there's a line on hold. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke show common sense radio. Okay, one final segment uh, here on the program, and uh, we can lighten it up a little bit, but I do have a phone call before we go to the lighter side of stuff, and uh, they've been on hold for a bit here, so let's uh, go to them first and see uh, what they have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Again, this is Bubba for the repeat really quick. I'm from the Rob Myers part of the world. Rob Myers in North Pole, uh, right. Really yeah, quick. That? In North Pole, yes. Uh, really quick, they, uh, the left has determined that uh, the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed 
red-nosed reindeer is politically incorrect. It uh, sponsors bullying. It, it, it talks about bullying. It, which reindeer was the bully? You know? Right. Yeah, it was all the other reindeers. They wouldn't let him play reindeer games. I mean, this is a story of overcoming. B- Rudolph overcomes oh, no. the her bully. Name, her, name, <laughs> her name was Olive. Olive. Uh, Olive, the other reindeer. Olive. Used to laugh and call him names. <laughs> Olive, the other reindeer. Uh, she was a real bully. Have a good day. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. A real bully. I appreciate Have it. A good- Thank you so much for calling. <laughs> Olive, the other reindeer. She was a brute, man. She was a brute. She beat up on all the boys in the schoolyard. Oh, man, that's hysterical. Uh, thank you uh, for calling in and joining us. All right. Um, I oh, I got good news. I mean, there's other stories I could get to, but who cares, right? Who cares right now? We could talk about these. I'm just, I'm closing windows at this point. Closing windows, closing windows. I got some good news, uh, but I do have one more call on hold. I'm going to get you here in just a second, caller. Don't go anywhere. I got one call on hold. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back to you. Uh, but I had to tell this story because this is hysterical. And I mean, it's it's interesting. It's It's good news. 47 years ago, a Minnesota man walked into his local library and took out a book uh, on um, on uh, fo- on foreign auto repair. The book was Chilton's Foreign Car Repair Manual. In 1975, he checked it out from the Lake Elmo location of the Washington County Library. And uh, nearly half a century later, 47 years later, he returns the book with an apology letter and a donation to cover the cost of the book. (laughs) He returned it anonymously, according to the Memphis uh, local news, thereby avoiding the disapproving glare of any librarians at the front desk. (laughs) He dropped it in the book return. (laughs) He dropped it in the (laughs) didn't want to face the arched eyebrows of the librarian. 47 years overdue. Uh, He included a note and an explanation as to why he had the book for 47 years. He said, in the mid-70s, I was living in Lake Elmo and was working on an old Mercedes-Benz. I took out this book for reference. A few months later, I moved, and apparently the book got packed up in the move. 47 years later, I found it in a trunk with other interesting things from the 70, uh, 70s. It's a little overdue, and I thought you might want it back. My apologies to anyone in Lake Elmo who was working on an old Benz in the last 47 years. I probably can't afford the overdue charge, but I will send you enough for a new book. The librarians contacted were just happy to have the book back and seemed charmed by the gesture. They wrote on the library Facebook page that they no longer charge daily fees, but only a flat replacement fee if the book was lost or damaged. They intended to use the money that he sent to buy a more updated version as the pages of the return book were yellow or as yellow as grain mustard and the pictures uh, were still in black and white. But this is the just in case. You know, I thought I thought I had some overdue library books. I remember I had a library book for a year and I I lost it and I it was in my house and I found it. 
And I returned it. And they're like, well, your wife already paid the replacement cost. So I kept it. I'm like, I'm keeping this book then. Because, <laughs> I mean, I already paid for it. I'll keep it. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, some good news for those of you out there uh, who uh, might want to, uh, I don't know, just have some have some good news on what's going on. Let me give you some more good news. Uh, starting later today, I had a problem with the website yesterday and I couldn't get everything working right. I think I've got it nailed down now, worked on it last night a little bit. But starting today, you will be able to go over to my website at michaeldukeshow.com and you'll be able to get signed up for the five days of Christmas promotion from our friends at Satellite West and the Michael Duke Show and your local radio station, where for every day from starting a week from today, Next Thursday, we're going to be giving away a bivy stick, one bivy stick per day. I'm trying to put my glasses back on. One bivy stick per day for Thursday and Friday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the following week, my last three days of being on the air for the year. We're going to be giving away a bivy stick that you can take, use. You can give it away to somebody else if you don't want to use it. You can use it as a gift, whatever you want to do. We're going to be giving away five bivy sticks. He's got like a $200 retail value. And he's going to give you an option to uh, get a discount on the uh, subscription fees for the bivy stick as well. There's a subscription fee with a bivy stick. So you get the hardware, but you got to you got to commit to something. But, I mean, again, they're as low as like 14 bucks a month to have it in your pocket. I got mine in my pocket all the time. It's it's in, actually in my coat pocket downstairs. I was going to bring it into the studio, but I forgot I left it in my coat pocket because I carry it with me all the time. It turns your cell phone into a satellite communications device. You can send text messages. You can do maps. You can do group track where if a handful of you were all together, let's say you got a bunch of snow machining friends and you're all out snow machining in the White Mountains or at Summit or down in Cantwell or wherever you're snow machining. Everybody's got a bivy stick in their pocket. Well, guess what? You could pull up your app on your phone and you you get separated. You could see where everybody is. You could see group track. You could see where all your friends are if you're part of the group, if you got the group track function turned on, where everybody's grouped up. I mean, that's slick. How about hunters? You, you know, you're out hunting and you get, you know, you go this way, I'll go that way. You want to check to see what's going on? You got it. And you could still send text messages and and and, and eat, you know, all that kind of stuff. The bivy stick is super cool. We're giving away one a day starting a week from today. You're going to have to go out to the website to get signed up to win. So a little bit later this morning, check out the website, michaeldukeshow.com. Look for the Satellite West logo and the five days of Christmas verbiage, and we'll get all that squared away. It's going to be a a fun time. So you got to get signed up to win. Um, And uh, thank you to our friends over there at Satellite West for sponsoring the program and for helping us out with this promotion. So the five days of Christmas. From uh, the Michael Duke Show, Satellite West, and this, your local radio station, who uh, also loves to uh, have the show. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be good stuff. Uh, all right, coming up on tomorrow's program, as I said, it will be Jeff uh, Knox and uh, Willie Waffle. No, Chris Chang, he's on vacay in uh, South America, uh, and we'll be talking firearms news and goodness and uh, and everything else. And we'll be doing, yeah, five bivy sticks. Um, <laughs> somebody in the chat room just said five bivy sticks, four calling birds, three French hens, and a cartridge in a bear tree. 
Somebody, I don't know how many people have sent me that meme. Have you seen that meme yet this year? And a cartridge in a bear tree. It's a shotgun shell cartridge hanging inside of a basically looks like a Charlie Brown bear Christmas tree. And a cartridge in a bear tree. Oh, I'm so ready for Christmas. I'm so ready, so ready for the vacation right now. 907-433-3150. We might have time for one more call before we uh, go to break, and we'll see what uh, you guys have to say. Uh, otherwise, uh, oh, we didn't get to this story. I wanted to get to this story, but it's politics. Do I want to U-turn back into politics here in the last two minutes? Um, I'll save this story for Monday. Some rural voters were again left uncounted in Alaska's statewide election. It's an article about six rural villages that did not get their ballots, their full, their ballots fully counted in the November elections. Why? Because the post office failed to deliver them to the division of elect. This, I mean, they had until the 30th of November to get there. And it's mail service from a rural village, which is all by an airplane. How does it take the, 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 this is not the first time this has happened. This is not the first time that this has gone on. We're talking about, this is over 200 people, almost 300 people that didn't get their votes counted. I, I, you know, this is, you know, I'm going to trust the most important decision I'm going to exercise as an American citizen to the U.S. Post Service. <laughs> it's like depending on the DMV to keep track of my medical records. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's ugly out there. All right, my friends. Well, I guess that leads us up to the uh, we'll, we'll cover that story on Monday, I guess. How about that? We're going to head out of here. And uh, we will see you guys tomorrow for Firearms Friday. Yeah! All right. Uh, Thanks, folks. Appreciate it. Do me a favor. Be kind to one another. Love one another. And live well. The Michael Duke Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. All right. Well, all you beautiful people out there, thank you for being part of the show today. <laughs> now I'm going to have to make up a five bivy stick. I'm going to have to at least come up with five things that I could sing about. That'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Rudolph and Olive, the other reindeer. Um, all right, my friends. Thank you so much. I will, uh, I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. Have a great, uh, have a great day. Merry Christmas.
Shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 